are listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at sojournfairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of his word. Good morning. It's good to gather with you. I was thinking as I was uh, driving over here this morning with my windows down, down that the last time we did this on a Sunday morning, it was 95 degrees outside. So praise the Lord for a nice end of summer, beginning of fall Sunday that we get to, to be together. Before we dive into uh, to God's word this morning, I'd love just to spend some time in prayer going before him. So would you pray with me? God, we come before you this morning, and as we've sung already, God, you are holy, holy, holy. God, thank you that you, holy, God, high and lifted up, make yourself known to us. God, you're magnificent, you're awesome, yet you condescend to us that we might have a relationship with you in and through Christ. So God, I pray that as we begin our time this morning diving into your word, would you clear our minds of distraction this morning, Would you help us to focus in on what you want us to hear this morning? Would you help our minds and our hearts to be attentive to the work of your spirit this morning? And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would work in us and through us in this time for our good and for your glory. May the name of Christ be exalted today, we pray in his name, amen. To begin our time together this morning, I want to ask a question of you. How do you know when something is important to someone? How do you know when something's important to someone? Well, generally, they talk about it a lot. You know it's important to them because it comes up all the time. I'm sure you or you have friends that you hear, if they have a favorite restaurant or a new restaurant, they're talking about it often. Or their sports team, how they're doing really well or not doing really well. You'd hear about new movies and books that they're excited about. There may be something going on in culture or in society that they're bringing up. It could be big, it could be small, it could be personal, it could be more societal. But whatever it is, whatever's important to them seems to pepper everything that they say or bring up. So let me ask you another question. What did Jesus talk about the most in his earthly ministry? What did Jesus talk about the most? I mean, Jesus talked and taught about a lot of things, important things for all of us to pay attention to. But what was the most central subject matter that Jesus brought up? It might surprise you. It wasn't the cross It was the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. I mean, just in the gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus mentions the kingdom of God over a 100 times. And so if this is what Jesus talked about the most, and you and I call ourselves followers of Jesus, then we should pay attention to what Jesus has to say about this important subject matter, what mattered the most to him. But that's where we run into a potential problem. I mean, what comes into your mind when you think about that phrase, the kingdom of God? How would you define the kingdom of God? Is it a place? Is is it the church? Is it something that's happening in the future? Is it something that's happening now? There's a great line in the classic movie, The Princess Bride, where Inigo Montoya says to Vizzini, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. And sometimes that can be the case with the kingdom of God. We read it, we say it, we hear it, but do we actually know what it means? Do we actually have an understanding of what it is? 
See, understanding the kingdom of God, it's not just an academic endeavor. It's not something for us just to comprehend mentally. It actually matters for our life, our understanding of the kingdom of God, because it has implications for our life, not only in the future, but right now. And we're going to see that throughout this sermon series. It has implications that will shape how you view the world, implications for how you live in the midst of the world, and how you live your life with God and with others. As Mark said, we find ourselves in a challenging time in 2020. It's been a historically difficult year for our world, for our country, and the year isn't over yet. I mean, we keep being surprised. That sounds very 2020. Something new comes, something more difficult, something more challenging. But friends, there's good news. As followers of Jesus, if you're in Christ, you are a citizen of the kingdom. And it's a kingdom that cannot be shaken. A kingdom that transcends all socio-political boundaries and borders. Which means this, that even if the nations rage, you can have confidence in peace and be secure because our king and his kingdom are secure. Even in these uncertain and tumultuous times, this reality of the kingdom of God can give us peace and comfort. It can give us direction for our lives and hope for our future. But in order for all those things to come, comfort and peace and security, we have to understand what is the kingdom of God. So that's the focus of our time this morning. That's our goal in our time together. And the definition of this, where we kind of come to this understanding, it's going to shape the rest of this sermon series, and I hope and I pray that it'll shape your life here and now, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus or not. To help us answer this question this morning, we're going to anchor ourselves in one verse in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. It's one verse in the midst of a teaching that a lot of us maybe have heard before, where Jesus is teaching on prayer, what we often call the Lord's Prayer. We're going to look at this verse, and then we're going to zoom out a little bit wider to see what the kingdom of God really is, and ultimately how that impacts our lives. And I'm glad you're here this morning, whether in person or online. I'm excited to be on this journey with you. I'm excited to see what God is going to do in us and through us. So with that, let's dive into Matthew 6, and may God bless the preaching of his word if you want to open up to Matthew chapter 6, I'll read the verses again that Edward read for us this morning. Jesus, teaching us how to pray, says this, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our text today is this line that Jesus is teaching us and teaching his disciples that are gathered around him how to pray. And it's not to pray in a rote way. Like Jesus isn't trying to say, you need to say these lines in this exact way all of the time. What Jesus is instructing you and I on is to pray a God-centered prayer, a kingdom-minded prayer where God is the focus of what we're praying about and who we are praying to. And he makes that abundantly clear in verse 9. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He's showing us important things about who God is. He shows us that our God is relational, that when we come to him in prayer, we don't come to him as a distant God who's kind of stiff-arming us. We come to him like ch children come to their father. We come to him in relationship with him. We also see that our God is to be revered, that he is high and lifted up, that he is hallowed and holy because of who he is. So with that as the basis and the grounding of who our God is, it's then that Jesus says to pray, your kingdom come, 
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. My guess is, especially if you've been around the church for a while, that you've heard this many times, that you've likely even have it memorized. You've prayed it many times. Maybe even if you're, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you at least have some familiarity with what we call the Lord's Prayer. We even prayed it again this morning. But what are we actually praying for when we pray for God, for your kingdom to come? We actually learn a whole lot about the kingdom of God just from verse 10. I wanna highlight four things for us this morning to help us to begin to have a definition of what the kingdom of God is. First thing that we see in this verse, it's God's kingdom, not your kingdom. It's God's kingdom, not your kingdom that you're praying for. You aren't praying, God, would you make my kingdom become a reality? No, we're praying, God, we want your kingdom to be here. We want your kingdom to come to bear on our lives and our world. Now, that may seem obvious to us, but it's super important, as we'll see. The second thing we see from verse 10, when God's kingdom comes, so does his perfect will. When God's kingdom comes, so does his perfect will. His plans and his purposes are lived out for your good and his glory. He brings his will. That's what a king in a kingdom does. It reigns over. He's bringing the will of the king and kingdom when we pray for this. Third, God's kingdom is here now, but isn't fully here yet. God's kingdom is here now, but isn't fully here yet. Which is why Jesus says, pray your kingdom come. There's the ability for more of the kingdom to break into our world, but it's not fully here yet. Right now, what's going on is, is that the kingdom of this world is active. And the kingdom of this world, as the apostle Paul tells us, is a kingdom of darkness. It's a kingdom that's opposed to the kingdom of God. In Luke chapter 17, the Pharisees ask Jesus, when is the kingdom going to come? And Jesus says, it won't come in the way that you expect it, but the kingdom is also in your midst. So it is coming and has come. So we have this reality of being here, but not fully. Fourth, and finally, what we see from verse 10, when we're praying for your kingdom to come, is that God's kingdom embodies the perfection of heaven. We say, come, bring the kingdom, make things on earth like they are in heaven. And you know what heaven's like? It's a place where there's no sin and there's no sadness. There's no suffering. There's no darkness. It's just the glory of God forever and ever. So when we pray for that, we're longing for heaven to come to earth. Now this is important and helpful for us. It starts to kind of frame out a definition for us but like I often do for my kids, we'll print off pictures for them that they want to color in. And they're black and white and there's space for them to color in. Well, we need to color in the lines a little bit. We need to fill this out a little bit more to get a more full view of what the kingdom of God is. So let's step back a little bit. When you think of the word kingdom, how would you define just the word kingdom? I mean, the general definition of kingdom is that it's a country, state, or territory ruled by a king or a queen. In other words, a kingdom includes both a reign and a realm. A kingdom includes both a reign and a realm. To reign over something is to rule over it, to have a position of sovereign authority over a particular people or place, which is the realm. They go together, both this reign and realm. I mean, if you think about me, you could call me a father because I have children. 
You can call me a husband because I have a wife. But you can't call me king because I have no kingdom. I don't have sovereign authority over anything in my life. What this means is there is no king if there is no kingdom, and there is no kingdom if there is no ruling and reigning king. So how does that impact our understanding of what the kingdom of God is? Well, this is where it's important to zoom out a bit more and get a better idea of what it is and how Jesus speaks of it. There's so many places we could look in the New Testament to see how Jesus speaks about the kingdom of God. Like I said, he talks about it over a hundred times in three of the four gospels. But instead of flipping to a bunch of different pages in your Bible this morning, I just want you to flip a couple of pages back and look at the immediate context to kind of supplement this definition that we've already seen start to be fleshed out in Matthew 6.10. See, Matthew 6.10 is located in the middle of Jesus's what's often called the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus's first public teaching after he's been tempted in the desert by Satan and begins his public ministry. So flip back to Matthew chapter four for just a second. Matthew chapter four, verse 17, it says this, from that time, meaning after Jesus was tempted, he began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God are interchangeable terms most of the time. And Jesus says something very similar in Mark chapter one. In Mark chapter one, verses 14 and 15, Jesus, it says Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying this, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The kingdom is at hand, it's present. There's a reality that's here now. There's a present action that we have to take to that. We need to repent and believe. But then look at Matthew chapter four, verses, verse 23. It says that he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. What's going on here? What, what's happening here? Well, Jesus is teaching and he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom, literally the good news of the kingdom of God. He's telling us about it. But Jesus also is showing us what the kingdom of God is like. It says that he heals every disease and every affliction. If you remember back when we were gathered together on a Sunday, both churches, we went through Luke chapter four and we saw something very similar. Jesus is preaching and teaching on the kingdom of God. He's healing people, he's casting out demons. What Jesus is doing in that moment is he's showing us, not just telling us, he's showing us that the kingdom of God is breaking into creation. There's an inbreaking of the kingdom where heaven is coming to earth, where there's no more bondage to Satan, sin, sickness, and suffering. It's then that we get to the beginning of Matthew chapter five, and Matthew five, six, and seven is this Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is a sermon, a teaching, where Jesus is showing us what life looks like for those that are citizens of the kingdom, who are part of it. He shows us how to rightly relate to God and the world and one another. The Sermon on the Mount isn't a sermon of suggestions. It's a declaration of a new way to live, a way to live that flows out of new life in a new kingdom. See, darkness rules the day. Darkness rules the day. The kingdom of this world and the kingdom of self that all of us wrestle with and struggle with, it crushes us. It crushes us physically and spiritually and emotionally and mentally. 
And I don't think I really need to, to say that as if you're going, really, I don't, I don't get that. I think we all experience that. I mean, we just reflect on this year with all that's going on with COVID. Maybe you've had it and been sick. Maybe you've known someone else who's had it or even passed away from it. Maybe you're suffering just difficulty and loneliness because of it, isolation. Maybe you've lost income and you're not sure how you're gonna make ends meet. It's starting to crush in on you. There's social unrest around this. Oftentimes, a lot of us just deal with relational difficulty in life. You're having a hard time being at home with everyone all of the time. Maybe you're having difficulty in more arguments with your spouse or your roommates or your kids or your parents. We have weak bodies. There's general sickness and death. I mean, we can just acknowledge the fact that life in a broken and fallen world is hard. I mean, even just this week in the mundane moments of life where all of our kids started school and we've got one in public school and one in homeschool and one in a private kindergarten and all of it's going on this week and we have a five-month-old baby and we're tired and it's like, oh my goodness, can this week come to an end? This is challenging for us. It's difficult. We live in a broken world where darkness seems to reign. But Jesus is announcing something and he's demonstrating something. He's telling us and showing us that the kingdom of God is here and the kingdom of God is coming against and pushing back the kingdom of darkness. Light has come into the darkness and darkness will not overcome it. Church, this isn't just good news. This is amazing news for you and I. Let's ask another really important question. How can Jesus say things like this? How can Jesus do things like this? And what makes him credible to make these kind of announcements? Jesus can say things like this and do things like this because Jesus is the king of the kingdom. So here's a succinct way for us to think about what the kingdom of God is. And we're going to come back to this over and over again in our sermon series. The kingdom of God is the redemptive reign of King Jesus. The kingdom of God is the redemptive reign of King Jesus, begun at his birth, completed at his return, and enjoyed by his people. The kingdom of God is the redemptive reign of King Jesus, begun at his birth, fulfilled at his return, and enjoyed by his people. That means that the kingdom of God is present now, yet isn't fully fulfilled yet. We're going to talk about that over the next two weeks. The kingdom of God is to be enjoyed by Jesus' people, to be experienced by us and spread through us. We're going to talk about that too over the next few weeks. But today, if you don't get anything else, I want you to get that the kingdom of God is the redemptive reign of King Jesus. So what does that mean? Remember, a kingdom is about a reign and a realm, a person who is king over a particular place and a particular people. But the reign of Jesus isn't like any typical reign where it starts and stops. It's not like the the kings and queens of the UK where where there's a whole lot of Henrys and a whole lot of Georges, right, where they started and stopped their reign over a particular place. No, the reign of Jesus is a redemptive reign that has begun and will never, ever end. Here's what I mean by that. Here's why this matters. Here's why it's good news. Our world, as we've said, is broken by sin and rebellion. And if we go all the way back to Adam and Eve, we see why that's the case. Maybe we recognize that Adam and Eve have rebelled against God. They've done what he said and told them not to do. But what they're doing in that moment is 
They're looking at God's rule and reign over their life, God as Lord and King, and saying, I don't want that. I wanna be my own self-sovereign. I wanna be the king of my own life. And so they turn away from God and they assert themselves in the kingdom of self. And this decision has catastrophically crushed all of creation down to every single person born into this world. But you and I can't go pointing fingers at them. Like, man, if I was there, I wouldn't have done that. Why did they mess everything up for all of us? Because you and I continue to do the same kind of thing. We reject authority in all different kinds of ways in our life. We see it from an early age. If you've been around little kids before, they quickly assert their own kingdom, assert themselves over authority. We do it all over the place, including with God. I mean, you can imagine a throne. The throne is the place the king rules and reigns from, right? It's a, it's a position, a, a, a seat that he sits in, and it's from that throne that everything flows out into the kingdom of what should be done and how people should live and what they should be obeying. It, it, it flows out into the entire realm of the kingdom. Well, you and I have a throne of our heart and life. Everything flows out of our heart. It's the motivational structure of your life, your will, everything that you think and that you say and that you do, how you relate to God and relate to others flows from this throne in your life, your lifestyle, your worship, what you focus on. So when you assert the kingdom of self, what you're doing is, is you're taking the spot on the throne of your life because you desire to be king. You desire to be queen. You desire to be the master of your own ship. Church, that's not only treasonous, as you assert your kingdom against God's kingdom, it's just foolish. It's foolish because there's no real freedom found when you try to rule your life, because that's not how God designed for things to be. Now, God could have left us to ourselves. He could have given us over to our rebellious desire to, to always want to be the king of our life, and that always and only ends in death and condemnation. But that's not who our God is. No, God, our God is full of grace and mercy and loving kindness. Our God is a restorer and a redeemer. From the beginning, he said that a redeemer would come, someone who would come and win us back, who would purchase us back and rescue us out of the slavery of our sin that we had created, someone who would crush Satan and sin, our greatest accuser and greatest adversary, who would restore what our sin had destroyed something that none of us in any way, any shape, any form, no matter how hard we try, can ever accomplish. But that's where the good news of the kingdom comes to bear. That's where the redemptive reign of King Jesus changes everything for us. See, when Jesus was born into this dark, jacked up world, the redemptive reign of the kingdom of God began. It's different than God's sovereign reign over all of creation where God rules and reigns over time and space. This is about Jesus breaking into the darkness to redeem us out of it. But he didn't do this by by an army or by force. No, Jesus came in humility. He lived a perfect life of obedience before our God. He preached and taught us how to live in relationship with God and walk in his good ways. Jesus willingly went to a cross to take on all the consequences for your rebellion, to take on all the consequences for every time that you assert yourself to be the king of your life instead of Jesus being the king of your life. I mean, what kind of king does that? 
What kind of king puts himself in the place to take on the weight, the consequences, and the wrath that we deserve? And then Jesus gloriously rose from the grave so that you can have life, so that you can be set free. Colossians chapter one, verses 13 and 14, Paul says this. This is really important for us when we understand this redemptive reign of Jesus. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Do you hear the language that Paul's using? He's delivered us out of something. He's redeemed us out of something. And what has he done when he's redeemed us? He doesn't kind of set us off on our own to go live life however we want to. He doesn't do that. No, he takes us and he transfers us to the kingdom of God. He puts us in the kingdom of his son, in the kingdom of our redeemer, who's purchased our forgiveness, who set us free from our sin. When you place your faith in Jesus, that means everything changes for you. Your identity's different now. You once were a citizen of the kingdom of darkness, but now you're a citizen of the kingdom of God. He's purchased freedom for you. He's rescued you. He's brought you back into relationship with him. Everything changes when you come close to the king. Jesus' redemptive reign, it's reclaiming his creation that's been broken by sin. It's intervention of his royal grace into the midst of a world that is broken by sin, lives that are broken by sin. This means that the kingdom of God isn't contrary to the story of redemption. They aren't two different things that are going on here. That the kingdom of God is central to the story of redemption. It's its very point and purpose. Jesus came to crush sin and its effects by setting up a new kingdom with a new king one who will never leave you, never forsake you, never cast you off. And what glorious news. No wonder Jesus talked about it so much. But here's where we need to be really careful and clear. The redemptive reign of King Jesus isn't just for your salvation in the future. It doesn't just have bearing on your life one day when Jesus comes again or calls you home so that you can be in heaven instead of in hell. It certainly includes that. Now, the kingdom of God, his redemptive reign, affects your life now because Jesus is king over the kingdom now. And if you've trusted in him for your salvation and rescue, you're called to follow him now as a citizen of this new kingdom. So this brings us back to the prayer that we pray so often and pray this morning. Your kingdom come, your will be done. See, the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of God, is wherever King Jesus is present in ruling. But this isn't about geography. It's not about a territory or a physical place. It's about your heart and your life and your worship. It's about following a crucified and risen king. So listen to me. It's a logical thing to think about here. If Jesus is king, then you're not. If Jesus is king, then I'm not. It's either your kingdom or his kingdom. And if he is ruling and reigning over our lives, then there's implications in how you view your life and live your life, following him and his ways and how he calls us to live in the midst of this world, which we're gonna be spending time talking about over these next few weeks. But that's where most of us run into a problem. 
It's why this prayer in Matthew 6 is so significant for our lives. In theory, we like the idea of a king. In theory, we like the idea of this kingdom. We like the idea of being rescued. We like the idea of being saved. What we don't like is not being in control. We say, Jesus, cool, hook me up, save me, but can I still call the shots for my life? Can I still be in charge? We don't like to be under authority. And we see that around us in our world right now, in the midst of the brokenness, we try to create, reach for these kind of perfect lives, complete lives, comfortable lives. We do it through sometimes through politics, thinking if we could just get the right person in the White House, then everything will be okay for me. If we could just have these certain things happen, then everything will be okay for me. We try to reach for these things, but they always seem to be out of reach. It's actually impossible for us to attain with human structures. Why? Because this world and its realities and hopes and dreams are always gonna fall short, no matter who's proposing or providing the solution. Because whoever you seek to crown as king, whoever you give your allegiance to, whoever you put on the throne of your life, which most often is ourselves, it's always gonna fall short. It's always gonna disappoint and let you down. In this world, we have no true or fit king, including ourselves, to rule the kind of kingdom that we long for because we were never meant to be king. Only Jesus is king. But that's why the gospel of the kingdom of God is not good advice for your life, it's good news for your life. Because the kingdom of God where Jesus is king, it supersedes all earthly kingdoms in every way, in all their empty promises, because Jesus alone is worthy to sit on the throne of your life. Because Jesus alone is the one who can redeem you. Only Jesus can restore you. Only Jesus can transform you. Only Jesus can bring peace into your life now. Only Jesus can bring you freedom. So when Jesus says the kingdom and the king are here, here's what I want you to see with that. He's giving us an invitation to follow him as king. And this prayer is a response of faith to that invitation. All of us are prone to chase after and build our own little kingdoms of self where we sit on the throne. I know in my life where that manifest itself most often is that I want to be in control and it manifests itself with my kids. I want to see them behave perfectly and do everything perfectly. But you know what? First off, they're not going to do that. And second, that crushes them. When I seek to say, you have to do things the way that I want them all the time so that my life can be comfortable. And I want perfection in my life. I want it for me and I want it for everybody around me. So that leaves me regularly disappointed with myself and with others. And I try to build my own little kingdom. Maybe some of you can relate to that. But what is it for you? Where are you trying to build your own kingdom to be the king of your life? Is it with your family, with your kids, or with your spouse, or maybe with your parents? Maybe it's in the place of your work that you find your value and, and worth in the midst of your work, your finances, your relationships. You're just hoarding and holding on to things, trying to build your own kingdom. A good way to assess where you're asserting your kingdom against Jesus's kingdom is where do you find yourself getting angry and irritable the most? What that's usually indicating is someone's violating your sovereign laws that you've created. That you've taken preferences and made them laws in your life and when somebody goes against those laws that you've made, you demand justice. But that doesn't hold true, doesn't hold up because you're not the king. Only Jesus is. Where are you trying to assert your will right now? Where are you trying to take control? 
When Jesus announces the kingdom is near, he's calling you to repent. He's calling you to turn away from hoping in any false kingdom that this world provides for you or that you try to build on your own. What Jesus is calling you to do is to step off the throne of your life where you've been trying to be in control and allow Jesus to take his rightful place in your life, following him, believing that all of his commands are for your good and for your joy. Remember, Jesus isn't just a ruling king. He's not just a reigning king. He's a redemptively reigning king. He desires to change you and transform you from one degree of glory to another. And the amazing heart of our king is not harshness. It's not distance. No, the heart of our king is one who is gentle and lowly and contrite and humble, who wants you to come near to him to find rest for your weary soul. Friend, are you weary from trying to build your own kingdom? Are you weary from trying to find your hope in some kingdom that this world or some other person is promising to you? Come to Jesus and find rest in him. His burden is easy and his yoke is light. So when you pray, when we pray, your kingdom come, we're praying a prayer of repentance. We're praying a prayer of submission. When we pray, God, your kingdom come, Jesus, your kingdom come, it's a cry of dependence, an admission that you aren't the king, that you're not in control, but you're desperate for the one who is. And that may be where most of us need to start today, actually repenting and believing the gospel of the kingdom of God, that Jesus is not only the savior of your soul, but the king of your life. Maybe for some of you, you need that for the first time today that you've never actually trusted in Christ, not just to save you, but to reign and rule over you with grace. Maybe you've even called yourself a follower of Jesus for a long time, but you've never actually sought to follow him. Maybe some of you are hearing about Jesus for the first time now. Turn away from placing your hope in anything and anyone besides Jesus. And for many of us, this prayer of repentance of your kingdom come is something we're gonna do for the thousandth time. But maybe we'll pray that a different way now because we long for Jesus to come and rule over the entirety of our life. Brothers and sisters, the kingdom of God, it's not an add-on to the Christian life. It's not something we kind of tag on as an appendix to the Christian life. It's the sphere of the Christian life. You've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of Jesus. That impacts every aspect of your life. To be a part of the kingdom is to be close to the king. And when you're close to the king, everything changes for you. If you want to know if you're living under the reign of Jesus, that looks like finding yourself listening to Jesus, and learning from Jesus, and loving Jesus, and pursuing Jesus, and being changed by Jesus, and obeying Jesus, and telling other people about Jesus. So if that doesn't mark your life right now, let me encourage you take some time to think on that and to repent and turn back to Jesus. Where Jesus is king, the kingdom is present. But right now, it isn't complete. It isn't full. We know this. We experience difficulty and challenge, sickness and suffering. All of us still struggle with sin and its effects in our life. The kingdom of darkness is still trying to assert itself in our world. Brothers and sisters, don't lose heart because we know who our king is 
In one day, everything that is wicked and wrong in our world will come to an end because King Jesus will come again and make all things new. That's why now, until that day when he comes again as kingdom citizens, we need to pray Matthew 6.10 daily. Yes, Jesus, your kingdom come, your will be done in my life. Jesus, rule and reign over me. Help me to navigate the difficulties of this world. Help me to relate to my spouse in a way that honors you. Help me to treat my kids with kindness and love. Yes, Jesus, your kingdom come in my life right now. We pray that for our church. Jesus, yes, your kingdom come. May you be the king and the shepherd and the the ruler and reign, person who reigns over our church. Lead us and guide us to where you want us to be and what do you want us to do, not for our glory, but for yours. That's why we pray this daily for our neighbors and the nations. Yes, Jesus, your kingdom come and your will be done in my neighborhood, in my community here in Fairfax and to the ends of the earth where people have not yet heard or believed on Christ. Yes, Jesus, rule and reign in our country right now that my hope wouldn't be who sits in the White House because I know who sits on the throne. We pray this regularly, asking for him to do this and find our hope in him, not in anything else, until he comes again. What is the kingdom of God? It's the redemptive reign of King Jesus begun at his birth, fulfilled at his return, and enjoyed by his people. If you get this, it can not only change your life, it can change the world around us because this king and his kingdom, it is sure and steady and unshakable. Church, I'm really looking forward to diving into this sermon series with you and I'm hopeful and excited to see what God's gonna do in you and through you, in us and through us for his glory, amen. As a first active response to the preaching of God's word and recognizing Jesus as king, we're gonna take communion together. And this meal is a, an act of both remembrance and refreshment. It reminds us of what Jesus has done for us. As we eat the bread, it's a picture of Jesus' body broken for us. And as we drink the cup, it's a picture of Jesus' blood shed for us. When we do this, we declare with our actions as we eat and drink that Jesus is our only hope in life and death. When we do this, we proclaim his sacrificial death until he comes again. But this meal, it's also spiritually refreshing to us. It's refreshing to our souls because King Jesus isn't distant, he's present. He's at work in you and among you by his spirit. So as you eat and drink, I want to encourage you to see this as a, as a gift of grace to be received, to fuel your soul, to keep walking in repentance and keep walking in faith, to strive to follow the king of the kingdom. If you don't yet have the elements, as Mark said, they're over here to the left, or my left, my right, your right, your left, on both sides here. But here's what I want you to do. We're going to do this a little bit differently this morning. Instead of all of us taking it together, we're going to have the band come back up on the stage and just play some music for a few moments because here's what I want you to do. I want you to take time just to pray. Take time to repent where you need to repent this morning. Take time to realign your heart to following King Jesus this week. And whenever you're ready to take the elements, to eat the bread and drink the cup, have freedom to do that when you feel ready. And then Matt and the band will invite you to come and stand and sing to continue to praise the name of our King. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time we've had to spend in your word. We thank you for the good news of the kingdom. We thank you for the reign of King Jesus. God, we pray now that you lead us in repentance and faith to find our hope, our only hope in him. Your kingdom come, Jesus. 
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yes, come Lord Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at sojournfairfax.com. Go in peace.